Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine land. I am Todd DeVoe, the host of the Todd DeVoe Show. And today we have, oh, well, we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to talk about well, cybersecurity, physical security. And uh, just kind of, you know, getting involved into the field that we're doing. I have a great guest with me today, um, Andrew Allett. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Todd. So how did you get involved? Like, what what was your career path? Because I I ask this question a lot because I always find it interesting that everybody comes from all over the place. Yeah, so um, I've had the most nonlinear pathway, I think, well, actually, I can't claim that, right? There's going to be somebody else out there that has way more unique uh, pathway. But um, I, I started my career in fire EMS um, and kind of navigated through that and then eventually got into consulting, became a government employee for the federal government, and then navigated myself to the private sector. And along the way, I leveraged like those foundational skills um, uh, that a crisis and emergency manager has, which are really like good stakeholder engagement skills, really good program management skills, and just learned how to leverage those for different types of experiences and just kept raising my hand up and saying, hey, I want to help out with that and just kind of navigated that way. Well, so what did it, what are the biggest challenges that you've faced, you know, throughout your career regarding to, to, to bring you to where you are today and, and uh, with your expertise? So some of the challenges that I had to overcome were learning how to actively listen and not jump in thinking that I had a solution to a problem. Um, and when I was early on in my career, I always used to say, yeah, let's, let's do this. And I didn't actually listen to what the problem was being communicated and it ended up going down a path that was just in the complete opposite direction of where we should be going. So that was one like lesson. The other one is, um, and I think this comes naturally over time was just being confident in myself. Um, and I'm still building on that. Um, even though it may seem one way today, it's uh, underneath the surface. It's not that way. It's extremely like, uh, um, I use the analogy like a duck pedaling underneath the water. That's how I'm feeling right now, even on this show. So even talking to a friendly face, um, it's just like so incredibly nerve wracking. So it was, it's, it's also building confidence. Um, um, and then the third piece um, is just being authentic. Um, I, I felt so um, uptight early on in my career because transitioning out of fire and EMS wasn't the most easy. Um, but um, I always felt like I had to be somebody else. And over the last five years, I'm just myself. What you see is what you get. And um, it's allowed me to just navigate problems a lot easier because I'm building rapport with people as me and not somebody else. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I talk about the idea of, I call myself a retread, and I think you're going to fall into that category too. The, the, those of us that started in fire and EMS and law enforcement and then um, moved our way over to uh, emergency management. And what I, my, my journey was, was as simple as I was assigned to a large fire and I was working in the emergency operations center 
Um, and I went, wow, this is, this is actually kind of cool, you know, and, and it's sort of fostered my, my drive to get into emergency management. Um, the hard part I had for me is, you know, get myself pulled out of the field for sure. Right. You know, that I still have that field attitude. Um, what do you tell to somebody who's looking to have that career change? Like, like, you know, what, what, what's your advice to them? So, you know, it's funny you mentioned like that field attitude, um, because I, I definitely felt that. I, I also felt like um, over the years, I'm I'm kind of changing my mindset a little bit. Well, naturally, um, because like when I was first starting out, I was really resistant to actually mentorship. And I, I said, you know, I'm just going to figure it out on my own. So it kind of leads into your question, um, you know, raise your hand, ask for help early, seek and lean on like strong mentors. And um, it's something that like after a couple of years being out of fire EMS, I was like, why did I wait three, four years to seek mentorship, to 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 kind of open up and um, see a different perspective? I, I can't do it on my own. Um, like I was told in fire EMS, you know, you put your head down, you do your job. And when you do something good, it's not a pat on the back and a high five always. It's uh, keep doing that. Right. Don't. <laughs> um, so the biggest thing, like somebody starting out, like raise that hand. I mean, those conversations can be a little awkward at first and that's natural. I think, I mean, even for, for me, the conversations I have today, sometimes, you know, you have to break the ice in the beginning a little bit. Like, I mean, it's not normal to just go up to a stranger and say, Hey, how you doing? It's a little uncomfortable sometimes when you don't do it and you don't flex those muscles. So, right. um, so anyway, I would just say, you know, be open-minded to mentorship and, um, you know, you can do that digitally, like going on LinkedIn, shooting somebody a message and kind of breaking the ice that way, or you can do it through conference events or, um, webinars. Um, I mean, heck like introductions can come from any place. So you, you moved from the field and got into emergency management and now, now you're doing the cyber side of things, which is interesting because there's this debate, like is cyber, is it really an emergency management crisis management job, you know, or is it more on the risk or is it its own thing? Or do we play together well in the sandbox when it comes to cyber? Because I mean, we've seen, we've seen the the results of cyber attack, right? I mean, um, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the gas uh, company down in, in, in the South was hit with a cyber attack. And, you know, we we're worried about the, the power grid being hit with cyber, you know, potentially. And I mean, everything, shoot, we're here in the midst of a, of a cyber atmosphere, right? I mean, heck, if you get hit cyber, can you, can you actually operate your emergency operations center? So how, how did you move into cyber and, and how, how much does cyber play into the world of emergency management today? It, that's such a powerful question. Um, so I'll first say that you know, one of my greatest fears before I moved into more of a converged like cyber and physical type of security role was one of my biggest fears, especially in being being an ex-emergency manager, were that those downstream and upstream impacts that cyber could have, right? Like I think of the 911 system and I think, you know, you hit it with a cyber attack and then right after that you have, you know, um, terrorists that hit a physical target, right? And then you can't actually... Um, pick up and call 911 and you have a, a massive crisis on your hands. So I think of like instances like that in public safety and everything that 
that I think are really relevant today. And, you know, I'm sure our adversaries are thinking of it, but I, so how did, how did I move um, into more of a cyber role? Um, And then let, let me answer that by saying, the, the foundational skills that an emergency manager and crisis manager have um, are critically component across like all domains. Um, stakeholder engagement and management, just working with people, managing projects, teams, programs, um, looking at data and analyzing it. Um, and it doesn't have to be like looking at numbers all day and trying to figure out like what numbers match up to what. It's like looking at GIS maps um, and then using that to aid in other decisions that are being made at a strategic level, like those pieces that as an emergency manager, you leverage every day can be leveraged in cyber, can be leveraged in supply chain management. It can be leveraged in IT disaster recovery, business continuity, the list goes on. And I, I learned over the years that everything that I'm doing complements each other. And shifting my mindset and understanding that really helped me to stand up a cyber element in one of my programs. So one of my programs focuses on cyber real-time threat intelligence. Now, that's a big word, but at the end of the day, you know, we know information is king and having real-time actionable information is important on both the physical and cyber side. Different threat vectors, different terminology, but how you handle it is very, very similar when there's an incident. I mean, you may need to call on different subject matter experts to coordinate, but um, like the ICS framework is super relevant uh, across not just um, emergency management, but also pulling that into cyber. And we've been able to do that pretty successfully. Is the mindset the same for a cyber security as it is for physical security? Um, my, my mindset's very similar. Um, the, the biggest difference is terminology um, and what, what you're looking at um, may, may take you a minute to process and understand if you're not familiar with it every day, but you can start drawing correlations if you have a really good coach, mentor, if you have really good information, if you have really good education behind you, you can kind of mesh those things together. I, I don't think, I, I don't separate them anymore. I bring them together. I bring them to the same space um, leverage the same technology as much as possible, leverage the same people because they have those skills that can be complemented um, in both areas. Uh, I don't see them as two separate things. Let's talk about the people for a second. Um, you know, when I, when I think of cyber guys, right, I think of the people that are like, you know, wicked smart, you know, they're in, they're in the dark room, you know, looking at the zeros and ones going up and down the screen, like the matrix or something like along those lines, you know, and then we think of the physical security guys, you know, you think of like the, uh, uh, you know, the guys that like, you know, understand how to use tactics and, and whatnot to stop the bad guy from coming into the physical plant. Right. Both smart people. And I'm not saying that the physical security guys because aren't smart, but you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's just a different, different uh, physical, physical f- mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, is that true? Or am I completely off base on that? You know, let, let's demystify it. Right. Like um, I, I think that's important because um, you know, you're hitting on something that I think people get really terrified when that word comes up. Right. They're like, I can't, I can't talk to them because I don't understand them. And maybe in some cases, you, you won't be able to because they're using different words and different terminology. But 
Um, for from my standpoint, um, the the biggest difference um, we're we're still dealing with risk at the end of the day. Um, you're you're identifying risk. Um, you're triaging it. You're bring bringing together teams to mitigate it. And then you're doing corrective action lessons learned to make sure that doesn't happen again the same way it did before. And um, that's effectively like the life cycle of both physical and cyber. Now, are there people that are super, super technical? Um, Yeah, in some cases there may be. Um, But the power of technology nowadays to analyze information and provide like very simplistic views of hey, this is what's going on. You decide what to do next. It's really kind of moving away from that like matrix type of environment that uh, that like ones and zeros all on the screen. Does that still happen in the background? Absolutely. But technology is making it easier to digest. What, I, I know I'm going to age, but you know, people that out there are listening who are younger probably won't, won't get this reference, but <clears throat> there was a show that was on for a long time called 24. And I always think of the cybersecurity guys, the people that were in the, their operations center, you know, being able to bring up the, you know, the enhance the, uh, the, the video or whatever. And then the physical security guys are more like Jack Bauer, the guys running and kicking in the, kicking in the doors. And so that's, that's the other way to take a look at it. Um, but when it, when it comes to cybersecurity specifically, um, and we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, you know, when you're assessing those risks, what are you looking at? Like, like if somebody, if you're talking to somebody with a small business who doesn't have huge staff, but still, you know, maybe makes her living uh, via the, the internet, what are the cyber, cyber issues that they have to really be paying attention to? Is like, does a VPN fix everything? You know, these, these are great questions. So um, I'll, I'll start with um, the, the biggest thing within cyber is the human element. It's the element that you can't control, like very well, to be honest, like human, human behavior is very hard to, to predict. Um, and we're getting better at understanding habits of people and like what they're doing, because as time goes on, we just get better. Um, but that's, that's one of the biggest like risks. So basic education and training around, you know, when you're accessing something sensitive, you know, maybe send it in a crypt or if you need to send something, send it in an encrypted email. Um, when you go to access, you know, different, different company records, you know, turn on your VPN. I mean, if you can even access it without, that should be a hard stop, but, um, the other things are like, don't engage on the dark web. <laughs> I mean, like, don't, don't go there because, you know, you, you may get yourself in trouble. Um, update your passwords. It's literally one of the top, like three vulnerabilities that different companies have. If you don't have really good password management, like every 90 days, maybe thinking about what your password was and what it may maybe should be and maybe changing it. Um, it's, it's, one of the other ways that that folks kind of leave themselves vulnerable. So really simple cyber hygiene doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Um, it, it doesn't. Um, I was literally just talking to somebody today, like training and education. If you have a staff of 10, they're making board games that literally make cyber so easily digestible for somebody that's in high school, somebody in their early 20s, like to be able to grasp 
that the terminology doesn't need to be as complicated as it is. As an industry, like across the board, actually in a lot of industries, we overcomplicate terminology. Yeah. And honestly, when you do that, it makes it so hard to make progress. So I, I think I saw something from CISA, CISA, um, and Jen Easterly that said, like, let's just take a massive step back and adjust how we're communicating about it because we're not hitting the mark. And she's so right. We need to adjust it. And that goes across every industry. Um, real quick, Eric uh, Ola says uh, that Andrew's such an awesome guy. Uh, and it looks like they interviewed him too, and he threw out a Spotify. So go check out that in your interview as well. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so when it when it comes when it comes down to it, right? I mean, like I I'm a guy, older guy. I'm 53. You know, um, we're not native to tech, but we're we're also the the generation that like we had our we we're the first generation, I think that really had uh, computers in the classroom. You know, we went through that stuff. We used to have to use these discs that were like the size of a record (laughs) out of the the thing, you know? So, so we understand sand the, the, the computer stuff, you know, and I know like my, my kids are, are, you know, native to, to technology. I mean, my daughter runs around with an iPad for school and she's 10, you know? So, so there's, there's, there's two different ends of the spectrum talking to the old people, right? Like, you know, I don't even know how to get to the dark web. So I'm not, don't worry about that. I don't even, I, I heard of it to me. It's like a, a, it's like a mystery. Like I wouldn't even know like what keyword to type into the Google search to find dark web. Right. So, so there's that, but you know, how, how does somebody who's, you know, maybe, you know, not as computer savvy as others, um, what are they, what should they be thinking about for investing in cybersecurity? You know, they're talking to the C-suite here. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Number one, uh, my daughter is seven months old and she loves technology. So <laughs> I can't imagine um, what it's going to be like when she's in her teens and carrying around maybe a holographic like type of thing and going to school, right? Like, or maybe that's like 50 years ahead, which isn't that far ahead, right? No, <laughs> we're we're going to be in the Jetson age soon. Um, I, I would say that So going back to your question, um, you know, cybersecurity at the end of the day, um, it's it's a team sport. um, And there's there's a lot of um, drive in that space because the threat vectors are becoming more and more complex. They're becoming harder to manage in some cases, harder to spot because um, the threats are becoming more and more less visible to the naked eye. and because of that, like the the talent that's around spotting cyber um, may, may be shifting a little bit. And instead of, and especially um, because as an industry, we can't just rely on highly technical folk anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, like I said earlier, technology is enabling us to do um, stuff differently than maybe previously, maybe how media portrays it. Um, but as we look into the future, talent, um, may not look the same, like across the board. And I, I think that's in a lot of different industries because as tech adapts and does things that's, um, um, enabling, you know, business champions to do their jobs better. I, I think that, you know, our roles fundamentally change. So I would say that, you know, for, for somebody that looks like they're 20 years old, by the way, Todd, there's the compliment. Um, um, and for folks that, you know, 
are senior into their career and have a lot of tenure behind them, um, just create the partnerships, learn as much as you can and understand that in 10 years, it's going to change again. Um, but by that point, everybody should be retired, right? Um, <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, we're so interconnected. We're, we're going, like, technology is going to change from, you know, just, well, it's already changed. Um, we went from, you know, big box computers to laptops to iPads to wearable technology, soon to be embedded technology. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if medical device technology is going to actually be embedded in us at some point in time. Um, and that's scary stuff, right? Like if you think about your personal stuff, just like out there, if it's not protected the right way, um, it, it's just crazy. But I hope that answers your question. No, it, it does. And, and you know, I'll tell you a funny story. When my daughter was, was little, like maybe a year old, um, she got so used to using touchscreen stuff that she went to change the channel instead of on the TV and she tried to swipe the the TV, you know. So it's just so it's let's, let's talk about how it's embedded into us. But um, you know, you talk about technology changing, and I had to have a conversation with one of my students the other day regarding um chat GPT. I always say that wrong, right? And I've been playing around with it, it's actually kind of fun. Um um, but I, I've read some stories about the chat that evidently it's trying to break up a marriage. And for one of the New York Times uh, reporters, did you see that that story? Um, I didn't see that story, but it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> it's it's it, it just blows my mind that I was actually having a conversation saying, "Oh, you know, um, you know, you should leave your wife, and this is how you can. This is how you, yeah, yeah." Um, so you know, so chat. The, the, the chatbot things kind of kind of spook spooky a little bit, but I was telling people the other day I, I did a story and I was saying, look at you know as emergency managers, if we embrace the chatbot and have the right technology in there, how cool would it be? It, it is right now; it can be used that when somebody is looking for information and they go instead of you know they can text it or they can do whatever and get real time proper information to evacuation centers or evacuation routes or, you know, what's going on. Um, and it takes that phone, the person is physically on the phone um, off the, off the hook, literally. Um, and, and allows that chat to, to embrace is technology like that. Um, number one, do you see it as being a good thing for a disaster response and emergency management? Um, and two, you know, how do we protect that type of stuff? from cyber, uh, you know, intrusion to where it's giving bad information. Yeah, it's it's a gift and a curse, right? Because with the greater accessibility of information and in the hands of so many people, it can, it can be um, a risk because the more and more people know about something, maybe the less and less they engage the right people to help them out. Um, maybe um, the information gets in the hands of the wrong people. Um, but on the enablement side, I, I love the potential. I, I think what chat GPT did really well is that, um, they marketed themselves as a key differentiator, even though the technology has been around for years, like the technology itself hasn't been marketed in this way. Mm. Um, and that's what really spearheaded the adoption. And it was just contagious. It was, 
like exponentially contagious because once one person found out about it, you know, you want to go explore the cool new toy that's free. Right. You no, know, like, like uh, why not explore something that's so intuitive and easy to use that you can type anything and, you know, type my LinkedIn posts for today on this topic. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, let, can you let me know um, the top cybersecurity threats to small business? You know, we were talking about that earlier. ChatGPT can spit out a bunch of that. Um, um, uh, type an email to my boss that's conversational and nice that I'm a little angry about something. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's really um, changing, changing the game around accessibility. And I, I think, though, on the enablement side, I think about integrating ChatGPT um, into so many different aspects of what an emergency manager does every day, a crisis manager, and all all in between, up and down. Um, I think about like integrating it with ArcGIS um, or any GIS interface, right. and and um, saying, "Hey, there's a disaster over here. Where are my quickest? Where where are my um, resources to help um, respond right now?" or um, you know, I, I'm picking up on, you know, something over here. Can you help me gather data around this area or intelligence to, so, so that I can have some insights? You know, I'm just spitballing um, off the cuff, but it can be a really good enabler, um, I, I think, um, across the board. And it's not just something that's, you know, hey, be, be scared of it. It's going to completely bring you to your knees. It may not. Um, it, 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 um, it, it can be used on the other side of things too. No, absolutely. And, and I think that's, you know, I, I always talk about the Lodites, right? You know, I, I think we should not be the Lodite and try to try to destroy something we don't understand. Um, and and I'll, I'll guarantee everybody out there who's ever interacted on the internet with a chat uh, person, I'm going to put that in quotes, you know, asking questions about a product, was talking to a bot most likely, uh, especially if it was like two o'clock in the morning. There isn't like a, uh, uh, you know, a, a call center maybe you know that's that's answering these questions is normally uh, some sort of chat bot, um, and they'll eventually get you to a real human, you know. But they're they're gonna throw all the frequent last questions go through that process. So, like I said, there's something we can embrace as emergency management to go. Hey, this is the stuff that we hate, that we need to talk about. Um, Todd, by the way, I'm still getting used to you know, chatting with a bot, like there's, there's some like awkwardness there sometimes going back to like talking to like, you know, I was talking about awkwardness earlier with, you know, being in my own shell, but um, the, the piece of chatting to a bot, like I get frustrated sometimes talking to a bot, right? Like I just want a person, just give me a person to chat back and forth with. Um, And I get it. Like some questions can be answered really easily by a bot. Like, tell me the hours of your store. Right. right. Or, you know, what, what's the best phone number to call about this? Or is my flight going to be delayed going to here? Here's the flight number. You know, like stuff like that is really easy. But when you're talking about other things, like, um, you know, I got charged for X and I need a refund for Y. And um, I'm also noticing this, 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 and this, you know, going back through 20 prompts to get me to a person is a terrible customer experience. So anyway, that that was my rant on, on that. Um, No relevance to anything we're talking about, but 
Um, oh, ran, ran away, Andrew. That's that's exactly what it's about. No, no, I, I agree with you. There's frustrations. That's why I say it's not perfect yet. Um, but you, you know, if you have, like, like I said in my in my piece, I did the 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 right information in, and I'm not the guy to do this, right? I'm not. I am not an. I I would have. We'd have to hire somebody, you know, to 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 run this. Which is those of you that are in emergency management that are technical advanced. I mean, this might be a. a, a a job for you, right, is to be able to program that bot to be able to answer the questions specifically during a crisis because people are nervous and they're afraid. They need information quickly. And, you know, sometimes picking up that 1-800 number, talking to, and and, and not, no, no offense to the call centers because, you know, we use, you know, call centers a lot, but they have a script that they go by. You know, and if it's not on that script, they don't know. They're going to have to put you on hold to go find out. You know, so, I mean, this is just takes that off that, that additional personnel where you can get it while you're driving down the road talking to it. That's just the way I envision it. Is it yeah. there yet? No, not at all. But could it be? I think absolutely. I think so, too. I think over time, like, we're, we're going to notice that, like, chat GPT and then the predecessor is going to be able to do what exactly what you just said. And it, at the end of the day, it's also going to save companies money, right? Like it's mm-hmm. gonna, it's gonna um, change how people work and what they work on. Um, and I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, and, and but going back to the cybersecurity aspect of it, we have to make sure that whatever chatbot is uh, that you're using, you know, can't be hacked, and and you're going to have to have some serious security around it because. How devastated would it be that if there are people are asking for, you know, evacuation routes and the routes it the wrong way because somebody's mm-hmm. playing games with it, you know? Yeah, that that's the piece that I get nervous of. But I, I think over time, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what chat GPT's security posture is like, um, but if it's not. Um, you, you know, maybe they'll start putting legal addendums at the bottom of like their, their chat, right? Like, don't use this for life safety, right? right. Like, I could see, you know, that's, that's going to backfire. Like, don't come here when the fire alarm's going off telling you to evacuate <laughs> a building, you know, listen to the life safety system and get out of the building. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I see some, I see, you know, going back into the the idea of of uh, cyber security and physical security, you know, having that tool it's just like any other tool, right? It's just like ArcGIS or, um, you know, the freaking internet for that matter. You know, it's just a tool that we can use to to enhance uh, our our life safety and, and uh, things like that. <clears throat> what what I'm gonna have you have put your Nostradamus cap on, right? Um, I like to see what what do you think is coming in in the near future for for cybersecurity, and what do you think could happen, like say, in the next ten years? So, um, I I think we'll see more um, physical physical to cyber or cyber to physical threat vectors that kind of become more and more complicated. Um, I, I think we'll see that. I think we'll see the use of um, cybersecurity attack, attacks as a service. Like kind of like a software as a service model, but for cybersecurity attacks, we're already seeing some of that um, within like the ransomware space where um, people are outsourcing their bad actor type of work to to an intermediary who then finds people to do, actually carry stuff out. Um, so, I mean, 
those those are some of the existing things that are going on in the space now. Um, and I think they'll continue. But with technology, I think like one of the biggest things I'm scared of is AI induced cyber warfare. Ooh. Where where you have AI doing the cyber attack on behalf of a party. Um, and um, it's hard to defend because it's learning as it's um, uh, attacking somebody. So for me, like, that's extremely worrisome. The other piece is, and we're seeing a little bit of this, but it hasn't made um, too much, uh, too many um, um, uh, ripples yet. Um, but, you know, we're talking right now and we are computer generated images with mm-hmm. the exact same voice of like what, what we have. And um, we're just having a conversation, but we're not really here. Um, right. And that is all cool and everything, but it's extremely scary when you start talking about bank authentication, like going to, going to talk to a bank and saying, Hey, my name's Todd, but you're not really Todd. You're an AI generated um, uh, voice um, to that bank that's giving away all personal information that you're not giving it away. That's really hard to track. It's hard to it's hard to prevent. Um, I think that's why some companies have went away from voices as passwords because mm-hmm. um, um, that that's an interesting piece as well. I think the last piece that I'll say. That's um, it's here today and it's here to stay is um, when when IT components are sourced, when they're hooked up, when they're maintained, when they're accessed out, um, every touch point that any piece of IT equipment has is is a risk and it modifying them. Um, there's there's stuff called implantation where you can implant um um, stuff uh, before it's deployed and it could cause harm to a network. Like, and it, um, there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways to, to tamper with um, IT equipment. And my point is like, I, I see an uptick in that as well. Um, I, I don't think that's going away. Um, I think that'll rapidly increase and we need to get a good handle on it. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff that we can get into. Uh, are you familiar with Descript? A little bit. I, I was playing with Descript, and they have this ability to, um, in your editing, say you want to get rid of something or add it, add something, and you do your test voice. So you go through this re- voice recording, and in your voice, pretty darn close to the naked ear, right? Sounds exactly like you saying a word that you didn't say, and. Uh, it's nice for filler right now, but you know, you never thought about it. like just typing a bunch of stuff in there and having your voice saying things that uh, that you didn't really say. That's like that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's freaky. Like, I mean, these these platforms can take like thirty seconds of you talking and turn it into anything you want to say. Like, it can analyze your voice and it can take that and literally do anything. Um, with oh, it. It's crazy. I mean, I, I know we're getting a little off topic here, but I think this is interesting since we're here. I, I was watching these videos of, and I'm putting air quotes for those who not 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 uh, watching, of Keanu Reeves. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen what you're talking about. Oh, it 
looking at it, you go, something is off, right? But I couldn't really point to what it was. It was like something about the Keanu Reeves that was just like a little off, but it was just like a little bit. And I was looking at it. I'm like, is that him? And I go, and I realized, oh, no way. It's a freaking deep fake video that they created of him doing like all sorts of things, like all sorts of weird things. And it was, you know, done in jest and in, in interest, but I'm going, wow, there could be a point to where you don't even need, well, I'll go on a little bit more. I know I'm on a tangent right now. Sorry, but, you know, you don't even really need actors anymore because um, they did a thing with Harrison Ford uh, for to make him look like he was Harrison Ford of the, of the 1980s, <laughs> you know, with him currently with just a little bit of, AI and it was just a, again it's another another one and uh, it's just crazy to see like all this ability to to really deep fake things so you can't even really trust the video that you see anymore you know or the uh, or the audio is it is it really the person or is it not yeah it's it's crazy like AI literally is everywhere and um it every year it's becoming more and more sophisticated and there's more and more use cases. And, you know, it's funny you use the example of actors. Um, I didn't think about that. That's a game changer, right? Like if, if an actor um, can't make, you know, for make it for filming, like, can you just use previous clips and cut them in? Like, and will anybody, you know, notice, um, or if they get fired and you have a you're seventy five percent done with you know filming the movie, like you can't just go back and hire a new actor. Like you don't want to switch the plot. Like can you just get AI to fill in for him? Like it's just crazy. Like put a green screen behind like where he would be and right. just you know have it figured out. I, it it's okay. not so many so many different like use cases. And I mean, it just makes everything that we're doing more and more prevalent, like across emergency management to cyber, um, creating partnerships, working together, exercising together, um, understanding each other and where we come into play. Like those are the big elements. Right. And then on the other side of that, um, you know, with the Hollywood being able to add Carrie Fisher into a movie after she passed, which they did with Star Wars, you know, things like that, which are kind of interesting. But then you have the ability to do AI real world training, right? Yeah. Whether it's disaster or, or, or law enforcement issues where you could put people in the shoot, don't shoot issues, you know, with, with real time uh, reaction. Um, things like this. So as, and again, we talk about the bad, right, or or the or the weird, and then and then you can add on the other side of it. It's it's a tool that could do some good. So, yeah, I, and and you know, Andrew's like team, guys like you that are are in there doing the security side of it that are going to keep those of us that don't know how to do the security side safe. You know, so so I appreciate that. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's something that it's here to stay. Uh, you know, fighting it doesn't isn't going to do anything. You know, I remember back in the day when everybody was like, "Oh, computers are just a fad," <laughs> and now yeah. they're everywhere. Yeah, now, now they're, they're, literally... on my, they're on my wrist. For yep, you know? they're on your wrist. They're in your pocket. Like they're they're literally everywhere. You know, it's funny you mentioned um, you know AI and training, and like I think about gamification, VR, AR, like and how like all of that coming together and it brings such a big sense of realism to the table. 
Like it's, it's absolutely insane. I have a VR headset and um, I fly an airplane and I'm like, I actually feel like I'm flying an airplane. It is so incredibly real. You translate that to public safety. You translate that to emergency managers. You translate that to so many others. I mean, it is so real. Like for me, I wish there was a cyber VR game that took you through the world of information security and cybersecurity, where you're actually sitting in a seat and you're traveling through cables, like to each pit stop, like super visual person, like, like let's self, let, let's educate people on like the most simplistic terminology on the pieces of information and cybersecurity, and then maybe where they could be vulnerable each step of the way and make it relatable. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. Brainstorming. Yeah. If anybody out there knows how to create these things, get a hold of Andrew and he'd be happy to work. Yeah, with you. do yeah. it. You'll, you'll make you'll make a little bit of money, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I mean, like you know, we're, we're we're kind of running over here, but that's okay. You know, um, one of the things I find interesting too is is that you know our brain. I was reading this article, um, and it was talking about the fact that our brain doesn't know reality from from fake. And that's why like VR, um, you know, people who get addicted into video games, into whatever, they, they don't, there's no, there's a, no connection between what its input is coming into. It's just input and it's how we perceive the data and do, you know, do we have the ability to pull ourselves out of it? And um, I think that's the thing that's, that we have to find, um, you know, within how, how to protect our, ourselves and how to protect uh, the, the future of being able to make sure we can pull people out of the, out of the, uh, the VR or the IR area. That's so interesting. Like I, I never, I never thought about that. I did see um, uh, somebody provide a perspective on AR VR, like the last two days. And it was like the psychology aspects behind it. Like, like it's so real now um, that to your point, like the brain can't differentiate real from fake generation of like content. And, um, it, it can be really scary and traumatic to some people. So like the psychology behind that is fascinating. I mean, the things you don't think of, like, it, yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Andrew, it's, we're, we're over time and I appreciate your time, uh, today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? No, just stay hungry. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, when, when you're in emergency management, like you, you have a lot of pathways, right? Like I, I, I took a bunch of pathways myself and, um, you know, just be open-minded to learning something new, raise that hand um, and create coalitions and partnerships at the end of the day, because that's how, you know, we all get our jobs done with less people, less money, you know, everything like that. So um, that's it. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you today, Todd. This was a lot of fun. Thank Absolutely. you. All right. And I'm going to let you go. Stay in the green room for a minute. I'll, I'll be back with, right, right with you. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for spending time with, with me today. And, you know, when we get into these conversations regarding what technology looks like and, and how, you know, we could use it for, for good. I remember it can always be used for, for, for bad. And so this is why it's critical to have somebody like Andrew in your organization who is a cyber security professional um, and really go through that steps. I think this is one of the things as emergency management that if we have a large scale cyber attack, we're going to be, we're going to be right there in the midst of it. So everybody until next time, stay safe.
and stay hydrated.